The poignant image that you see on the screen this morning was a painting that was done by the artist Byman Shaw in 1897. The young husband, who is grief-stricken as he sits helpless beside his young bride, is clearly the focus of the picture. We cannot see her, but she is clearly deathly sick and is very likely taking her final breaths in this life. The artist does not want us to focus so much on her, but he wants us to focus on her husband who is losing the love of his life. Who is the shadowy figure? Unseen by the despairing husband, who yet holds his hand and places his hand upon his shoulder in the midst of his sorrow. Now, our first reaction might be to say, Pastor, that's a very easy question. That is an image of Jesus. Would you like to know the title of this painting? It is the Comforter. Let me ask you, who is the Comforter? Yes, it is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John fourteen sixteen, I will send you another helper, the Spirit of truth, that he may abide with you forever. This is one of the greatest illustrations of the Holy Spirit that I have ever seen. Jesus said he would send us another helper, one who would be exactly like him, though unseen in every way. He would minister to us, he would work inside of us, and he would be alongside of us every step of our Christian journey. As Christians, we are never alone, but the unseen presence of the Holy Spirit indwells us. Now, so important is his ministry that five times in the Last Supper discourse, Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. The last time we were together in this discourse, we began to look at the first passage in which Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit. I want you to take your Bibles and turn there with me to John 14 this morning. And as we turn there together, the structure of this passage is very, very critical. It helps us to understand what Jesus is doing. In verses 15 to 17 of John 14, Jesus gives to us the promise of the Holy Spirit. But then starting in verse 18, down through verse 24, he talks to us about the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you know, we could entitle this second part of this passage, Why We Need the Holy Spirit. If we're to put one question above what Jesus says here in verses 18 to 24, it would simply be, Why We Need the Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment, shall we, and bow our heads together and pray. This is wonderful teaching. It rejoices our hearts. Let's ask the Lord to open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of his word. Gracious Lord, 
Thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that as believers we are never alone. Thank you that everything that has been promised to us in Christ is applied to our lives by the wonderful third person of the triune God, the Spirit of Truth. And today we pray that you would open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your word, that we may understand him more, appreciate what he has done, and live in accordance with his wonderful will as he leads and guides us. We'll thank you and praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want you to notice as we open this passage that the first thing Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit does is he imparts eternal life to all who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. Now look with me at verse 18 and verse 19, and notice what Jesus says. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, I have to ask a question, which coming is Jesus talking about here? Bible students are divided over this. Some say that Jesus means his resurrection, when he would appear to the disciples for 40 days. Others say that Jesus is talking about the sending of the Holy Spirit, which he has just promised. Uh, Let me ask you, is there a third answer? I think there's a third answer. Isn't it possible that it's both? I believe so. Clearly, Jesus promised to his disciples that he would return to them following his crucifixion and the resurrection. They expected that. But I have a little volume in my library, which is a sermon on this passage from Pastor John MacArthur. It's been sitting on my library for years and years and years. And I pulled it out this week in preparation, and this is what Pastor MacArthur says. Forty days of Christ's presence would afford only a small commodity of comfort before he ascended to the Father. Well, that's exactly right. What Jesus is teaching here clearly goes beyond the 40 days to his return in the person of the Holy Spirit. So that there is a double meaning in this passage. Jesus' return in the resurrection would be the basis of his return in sending the Holy Spirit. Now notice what Jesus says. He says, because I live, you too will also live. I've quoted that many, many times at funerals to teach that the bodies of believers will rise again in the resurrection. By the way, isn't that wonderful all in itself? Of course it is. But Jesus came to do more than just give future life to our bodies. He came to make our souls alive with the life of God. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that they might have life. Now through his death, he deals with our sins, reconciling us to God. 
And then through his resurrection, he provides life that we might live unto God. And so both are involved here. When he says you also will live, he's talking about our life as a resurrected body in the resurrection, but he's also talking about our new life in Christ. What's interesting is this little phrase, will live. It means to enjoy life. It means to live in possession of true life. The best definition that I have ever heard of eternal life is this. Eternal life is real life that never ends. That's the best definition I have ever heard. It will last for all eternity, but it begins the moment the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. Now, Jesus described this life in a number of ways in the Gospel of John. He described it as being born from above. He said that you must be born from above. Now, only God can give us physical life, and so only God can give us spiritual life. Only He can impart impart His nature into our souls from above. In John 7, verse 38, Jesus described this life as rivers of living water flowing from our hearts. Isn't that an amazing image? Rivers of living water. The imagery is active, powerful, efficient, strong. Rivers of living water refers to rivers of water that have vital power in itself and exert that power on our soul. And so it changes our life so that our Christian life is now different than our previous life. And then Jesus said in John 10.10, this life is abundant life. He said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And the word abundant there means superior. It carries the idea of uncommon, more excellent. It is a life that is superior to every life that the non-Christian is now living, it is a better life than we ever had before because we are now living in fellowship with God. If you're like me, sometimes you have a hard time explaining new life in Christ. And sometimes about all the best that you can do is to say to somebody, I can't really explain what has happened All I know is that when this life comes into your soul, you know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. Many years ago, there was a very famous U.S. senator from Kentucky. You have all heard of Senator Henry Clay. He was a statesman in in the Senate. He was not a Christian, and he apparently made no bones about that. This is what he said. He said he did not know personally what the change of heart that Christians talked about meant. He had never experienced that, but this is what he said. He said he had seen long-standing Kentucky family feuds healed by this new life. And then he said this. 
He said, whatever could heal a Kentucky family feud was more than human. What a candid statement. I'm not a Christian. I don't know what you Christians mean personally when you talk about this new life that has transformed your soul. But I have to be candid enough to say I have seen long-standing Kentucky family feuds healed and whatever can heal a feud like that is more than human. It is God's life. It is God's life. May I ask you this morning, do you have that kind of life? Do you know this kind of power? If you do not, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Because the first thing he does in his ministry is he imparts eternal life to us. Let's continue on. Secondly, Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit gives us inner assurance that we belong to Jesus. Look at verse 20. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now in that day, again, is a double meaning. It refers to when Jesus is risen, and it also refers to when he sends the Holy Spirit and he has come. Now, did you notice that Jesus says here, in that day, we will have the perception of two very wonderful things. The first one is, we will know the true nature of Jesus, that he is God. Jesus says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father. Do you know, I have, I have sat with members of cults, and I have showed them verses that clearly reveal the deity of Christ, and they cannot see it. They're as blind as a bat. I have opened the Bible with members of cults, and And I have showed them verses that clearly reveal that the Holy Spirit is a person, and it's like they have shades on, they cannot see it. And the reason they cannot see it is they do not have the Holy Spirit. Then I have taken the same verses, sat down together with believers who have the Spirit of God. And we have rejoiced together in the truths of God's Word, that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Him, because the Holy Spirit has given to us spiritual perception. That's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. Do you know Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God? Did you know that? You cannot say the Holy Spirit or Jesus is God unless that has been revealed to you spiritually by the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not a natural thing. 
Notice the second thing that Jesus said uh, the Spirit of God would do is he would reveal to us that we are truly saved and that Jesus lives within us. He said this is what will happen in that day that the Spirit of God comes. You will know that you are in me and I am in you. By the way, did all of us know here today that all three members of the Trinity indwell every Christian? Did we know that? This is one of the few passages in all the Bible where all three members of the Trinity are said to indwell every Christian. Back in verse 17, Jesus said, the Spirit will be in you. Now in verse 20, he says, the Spirit of God will show you that I'm in you and you are in me. And then down in verse 23, he says, My Father will love us, and He will come to us and make His home with us. All three members of the triune God indwell every single Christian. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. It is the Holy Spirit that assures us of this amazing truth. Brothers and sisters, what this means is this. We can know that we are truly saved and we are a child of God because of the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. You know what grieves my heart today? So many people who have grown up in church who do not have the assurance of their own salvation. They've been in church their whole lives. And yet if you talk to them about the assurance of salvation, they will often respond with, well, I hope I'm going to make it. I'm trying. And there's no assurance. Let me give you two verses. Keep your finger here and turn back to 1 John 3, verse 24. 1 John 3, verse 24. And notice what John says in his first letter. How very, very important this is. 1 John 3, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. There it is. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And let me share with you verse 16, Romans chapter 8, and notice with me what the Apostle Paul says in verse 16. Listen to what he says. This is exactly what Jesus means. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you see what he's saying? There's an inner witness of the Holy Spirit that assures us of our standing with God. Now let me just ask you today, how does this work? Well, I think it works very wonderfully, something like this. You're reading in your Bibles. You come across a verse that says, He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God does not have life. And the Holy Spirit whispers to your heart, that's you. 
You have the Son. And therefore, you have life. Or you're reading in the Bible, and and you come across this verse, and it says, whoever believes has eternal life. And the Spirit of God assures you in your heart, that's what's happened to you. You have eternal life. Or again, you're, you're reading in a book like Colossians and you come across a verse and it says, we have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And the Holy Spirit testifies in your heart that you, you are now in a new kingdom. You are in the kingdom of Jesus. You see, because you now have spiritual perception that you didn't have before, you know that all of these wonderful promises in the Word of God apply to you. Every Christian here this morning knows exactly what I'm talking about. Let me read again from Pastor MacArthur's sermon sitting on my library for so many years. The person who is spiritually alive lives in another dimension. He's tuned into the spiritual realm because of the spiritual life that resides within him by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you today, is that true of you? If you cannot read your Bible and say, there is an inner witness that speaks to me saying, that promise is true of me, then you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the third. Third reason why we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit increases intimacy with Father and Son through love and obedience. Now, if you're following along in your notes, I am combining points three and four here into one. The Holy Spirit increases intimacy with Father and Son through love and obedience. Look at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, the disciple who was also known as Thaddeus, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear, it is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, Judas, this other Judas, who is also called Thaddeus, He didn't understand in verse 22 that Jesus was talking about spiritual perception. The world cannot understand the Lord Jesus Christ because the world does not have the Holy Spirit. 
Lacking the Holy Spirit, it has no spiritual perception or even desire to know the Lord. In fact, did you see how Jesus affirms that down in verse 24? He says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Do you know the Apostle Paul puts it this way? In 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Neither can the natural man know them because they are spiritually understood. Brothers and sisters, what this means then is this. Jesus does not manifest himself to the world because the world has no capacity to understand him. If you are here today and you're not a believer, and this sermon is going right over your head, I would expect that to be the case. Because the world has no spiritual perception to understand the Lord Jesus Christ. But for Christians who believe, we can grow in a deeper and deeper relationship with Christ. So here's what Jesus does. He repeats in verse 23 the same thing that he had said in verse 21 to help Judas understand that he's talking about a spiritual relationship with God. Verse 21 and 23 are essentially two ways of saying the same thing. Look at verse 21 again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That little word manifest there is a great word. It means to let oneself be intimately known to someone else. What Jesus is saying then is we can have a deeper and deeper relationship with Him and the Father. Then notice He says almost the same thing in verse 23. Drop down there. Jesus answered Him, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to Him, and we will make our home with Him. Did you notice the difference? Verse 21, we will manifest ourselves to him. Verse 23, we will make our home with him. Did you know this word home? It is used only one other time in the entire New Testament. And in the providence of God, that place is in the first part of John 14. It is in verse 2. Go back there and look at verse 2 for just a moment. In my Father's house are many rooms. That is the exact word in the original language for home in verse 23. We will come to Him and make our home with Him. Now verse 2 helps us understand verse 23. You may remember that the picture of heaven that Jesus is describing in verse 2 is intimacy in the family of God. When Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms, he is depicting 
a Jewish homestead in the first century. You may remember we talked about this when we looked at this verse. What would happen is wealthy Jewish families, when their children got married, would just add on to the family compound. So they would add on a new room for the husband and bride or the bride and her husband. As the family continued to grow and grow and grow with all of the extra rooms, what they would enjoy was family intimacy in the family compound. So that for Jews, this was an image of family intimacy in the growing family compound. Now here's what Jesus is saying. That's what heaven is going to be like. We are going to be a part of God's great family in heaven... And in heaven, we are going to enjoy intimacy with Father, Son, and Spirit and with all believers in God's family compound. Now listen to what Jesus is now saying. He is saying that very spiritual intimacy that we will experience in its fullness in heaven is now brought down to our hearts by the Spirit of God whom Jesus has sent. That is an amazing thing. I don't usually find great pearls of spiritual wisdom from politicians. But Michelle Bachman, who used to be a politician in Minnesota, hit the nail right on the head. Listen to what she said. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our teacher. That's why in prayer we can ask the Lord to open up Scripture and make it come alive to us, to open our understanding. He left His Spirit with us till we join Him in heaven. Precisely right. Precisely right. The Holy Spirit brings the intimacy of Father and Son into our hearts on earth. And now what Jesus is saying is it can be a growing, deepening intimacy if we will pursue it. Sometimes people will ask, what is the secret to a fulfilling Christian life? And brothers and sisters, the secret to a fulfilling Christian life is right here. It is love leading to obedience that results in a growing intimacy with Father and Son. Jesus is very clear here. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. If we think of the Christian life as a list of rules, I must do this, I mustn't do that, 
There is no way that we will make it. That will become a drudgery that will soon dissipate in our lives. But rather what we're to understand is that the Christian life is a way of life. It is a way of life in which God loves us, we love Him in return, and out of that love we then obey Him. D.A. Carson had this to say, duty alone will not generate obedience to Christ, only love for Him can do that. Duty alone will never generate obedience to Christ. Only love for Him will do that. And as we grow in our love for Jesus, our obedience will naturally grow. And God will show Himself to us in a more real and deeper way. When I was growing up, My mother served my father a lot more than he served her. And so her love for him was more evident than his love for her. But when she became enfeebled, my dad began to serve her more and his love became more evident. He did the grocery shopping. He did the cooking. He began washing the clothes and washing dishes. One day a young couple who had moved into the neighborhood, watching all of this, said to a long-time neighbor, he must really love her. If you would have said to my dad, Don't you hate shopping, cooking, washing for her? He would have said, No. She's my wife of 62 years. I love her. After she died, he said to me, I wish I had said to her more, I love you. I don't know why I didn't. But love makes obeying a delight. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why do some Christians enjoy their Christian life more than others? I've been around long enough that I know in every church there are some Christians who are enjoying their Christian life and there are others who are not. They're not happy in the world and they don't seem to be happy in Jesus. And you look at them and you look at those who are enjoying the Christian life and you say, why is there this difference? What's going on? Well, can I give to you the answer of my old professor, Dr. Tom Constable? Listen to what he says at this point in John's Gospel. Some believers love Jesus more than other believers do. 
This results in some believers obeying him more than others and enjoying a more intimate relationship and greater understanding of him than others enjoy. The way to become a great lover of Jesus is by learning to appreciate the greatness of his love for us. And brothers and sisters, it can only happen as the Spirit of God takes the things of Christ, shows them to us, Witnesses to our hearts that we have been made alive and draws us after knowing and obeying the things he has revealed. And it is the secret for every person to enjoy the Christian life. How wonderful all of this is. What is the answer to this question, why do we need the Holy Spirit? Well, it's clear. He imparts eternal life to us. He gives us the inner assurance that we belong to Jesus. And He increases our intimacy with Father and Son through love and obedience. What a wonderful helper He is. Do you know him? Do you know him? Let's bow our heads together. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed... In just a moment, we will gather around the Lord's table. And I want to ask you again, do you have this life that I have been describing? Do you know this power that Jesus is talking about? If you do not, you need the Holy Spirit. Can you read your Bible and see the promises of God? And can you hear an inner voice silently witnessing to you, that's you, that's you, this is me? If not, you need the Holy Spirit. And are you growing in obedient love for Jesus so that you are getting to know him better and better? If not, you need the Holy Spirit. Today I would invite you, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, to be sure of where you stand with God. You can say something like this to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I have no claim upon you. But I believe you died for me and rose again. I believe you sent the Holy Spirit that I might have eternal life. 
Say to the Savior, Lord Jesus, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own selfish way. And I'm turning to you. Come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and be my Savior. Come into my life, be my Lord. Lord Jesus, give me the gift of eternal life. Cleanse me. Make me a child of God. And then would you say, Lord Jesus, from this day forward, because a new power has entered my heart, I will follow you with all of my heart. Thank you that as I do, I will come to know you more and more and more. Dear Christians, Do you know Jesus better as a result of last year than you did the year before? Are you closer to him? Is he more real to you? Is his word alive in your life? That is your birthright as a child of God. And if it is not true, what are the things that you need to change so you can know your Savior as He wants you to know Him? Lord Jesus, in the stillness of this moment, before we will gather around this table, we want to hear you speaking to us. Your word has been declared, your spirit is present. And if we have ears to hear and hearts to obey, this moment is alive with great and wonderful promise. Thank you now that as we come to the table of the Lord, that it is Jesus who is the host. The men who will come and Serve these elements, we are all just under shepherds. We are servants for Jesus' sake. But Jesus is the host. He bids us come and fellowship with him. That we might begin a new and fresh year. Walking close to his side. 
Bless us now as we partake. For Jesus' sake. Amen.